재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We're back for part two of this discussion on the state of South Korea's monitoring system for ex-convicts of a sexual crime at risk of being a repeat offender. Uh, in this segment, we're going to take a closer look at the legislative framework and monitoring systems that are already in place. Professor Huang mentioned this. Uh, there was a recent constitutional court ruling upholding a law requiring the personal information of sex offenders to be registered and accessible to the public. This is how that medical student uh, was found to be a previous sex offender. Uh, give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a Kakao Talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. Joining us here in the studio once again from Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, Law Professor Hwang Jong-uk, and from Korea Women's Development Institute, Senior Researcher Dr. Lee Mi-jung. Thank you both for joining us. Professor Hwang, now in terms of, as you say, if it is a situation where this guy was by the book, he took the exams, he went through the application process, he did not answer any questions that could be construed as being a, a, a falsehood or anything of that sort. Now the outcry, you mentioned political expediency with some of the other things going on with why the government has decided to do things or crack down harshly. Are there any legal means right now because of the outcry that uh, this university or other officials will say, look, we, we can't handle this anymore. We've got to get rid of this student. How how would they be able to do that? Well, as long as he hasn't lied anything to the school you know, affirmatively, and plus, uh, and it doesn't seem like he has committed any crime while in school. So I don't think there is there is any basis for the school to you know force him out. And also the uh, the law related to. Uh, the medical licensing also doesn't have any provision to stop him from actually becoming a doctor just because of his, his sex sex crimes. There are other provisions that apply, but as for sex crimes, there is no relevant provision in the law related to medical licensing. There is a law, however, that bars uh, sex offenders from taking certain unemployment unemplo- positions that actually includes hospitals. That means that this uh, student can graduate, become a doctor, but and then, as you know, you actually have to go on a residency right, at some hospital, which means that he won't be able to do that. And that period covers about 10 years after he got out of the prison. So the medical school program in Korea is about six years, which means that he shouldn't be able to do a residency program about three to four years. So he's already in a pretty disadvantageous situation in terms of uh, wanting to pursue, a, a, I suppose, a successful medical career. That's As right. I mean, he should be able to finish school and you know even take the you know the medical examina- medical licensing examination in Korea. But uh, when he tries to get a uh, get a job as a resident at some, in some matching hospital, he wouldn't be able to do it under law for about three to four years. Right, and I, I guess a lot of people will find it interesting that uh, there is nothing explicit about anything regarding to sex offenders and the ability to practice in the medical field. If someone engages in financial fraud, from what I understand, exactly. they would not be able to. Uh, uh, engage in any financial advisory type of official role, right? Actually, the, the, the regulations related to medical licensing actually has uh, provisions about financial fraud, mm. has a, a provision about me, you know, mental illnesses and so forth, but doesn't have anything about the se- uh, sex crimes. So right. there's a little uh, hole within the, uh, the medical licensing law. But there is uh, the, the restriction on employment for sex offenders, so he will face mm. a, a hurdle because of that. Now, a lot of people who listen, if people who are outraged by this and go, 
I would never want to be a patient of this person. If it was a female uh, listener who was offended and outraged and saying, if this guy decided to become a gynecologist, I, I would definitely not want to be his patient because of all of these things that are going on. Dr. Lee, do you believe sex offenders should be permanently banned from practicing in certain fields like medicine and maybe even law, for example? If you ask my personal opinion, I'm kind of a generous person. So if the person really repents what he has done and, uh, and he, the person is really determined not to repeat it, I think the second chance should be given, my personal one. But I think the public opinion might be tougher than mine. So, I mean, somehow we have to consider this public sentiment. So that's, again, I, I suppose that political expediency uh, factor in play where maybe some individual might feel, look, second chances, um, perhaps we can do it. But it's just an overwhelming sort of uh, public perception that is kind of going against the tide here. Professor Huang, obviously you're not the uh, school administrator here. You're not uh, the person who is um, defending this uh, student uh, in a court of law or in, in the court of public opinion. But generally speaking, what would be an expedient way or uh, uh, an appropriate way to deal with this situation that can sort of generate to the extent it's possible a win-win situation both with the public interest as well as trying to be fair to this person? Well, my understanding is that he's probably under a lot of peer pressure as well as, you know, under the watchful eyes of a lot of people in the school, within the department as well. So I I will think that, you know, he'll finish his program and... Uh, I hope that when he when it comes to ch- time to choose his specialty, he wouldn't choose specialty. They'll bring him you know, into contact with a lot of children or women, like pediatrics or plastic surgery. You know, to name a, name a couple. So hopefully, you know, uh, along with the watchful eyes of his peers and the professors, hopefully he'll be able to rehabilitate. You know, his uh, career at the same time. You know, not uh, engender yet another backlash against what's going on in the school. Right. So in in terms of public interest, so it looks like they're not going to most likely be satisfied with the outcome of this particular case. I've, what I've read in the media reports is that his his students, his fellow classmates have demanded that he just leave the school. Uh, obviously, there's no legal reason for him to do so. But I mean, it would be extremely uncomfortable for him to pursue his studies. He probably is probably, uh, you know, avoiding his fellow students at, at this time. So, you know, I, you know, this will be an uncomfortable standoff uh, yeah. going on going forward. But at the same time, I, I don't think there will be any a legal compulsion for him to leave the yeah. school. It often, I mean, obviously, we don't know the specific details of this person's life and, and what uh, his background for why he made this decision is. But as a, if, if, if you're a smart guy and you know this situation is right in front of you, the logical and kind of, uh, I suppose, sane option would have seemed to be an overseas, yeah, or yeah, a different career. Or if you're stuck on medical, then uh, pursue it uh, in, in a place where really there is no memory of this uh, from happening. Dr. Lee, do you believe naming and shaming or any other form of public outing of a sex offender, such as mandatory registration, is an effective deterrent and prevention method for sex crimes? Yeah, the, I happened to read a report about the effectiveness of the, the public notification through the website and uh, mail. 
So according to the report, I mean, the, from the part of parents, I mean, they have become aware of this sex crime, and they take to provide more education for their kids and provide advice, not uh, advice of, of avoiding uh, being in the being in the victimized situation, and then the. But regarding the the effect impact on the recidivism, they could not find any evidence about it. And third one is uh, regarding from the, the the effect of these predators, they have a really hard time. So the family relationship of theirs has been broken up, and many of their children and family members are bullied and disregarded. In school or community, so I think their children and their family are—I mean, the way their children and families are treated that way is are, is not fair. I think. Mm. In terms of, I I guess the argument, Professor Huang, that well, look, he did a bad thing. Maybe he's a bad guy. But uh, what rights does he actually have? I, I know some people will say if you're a sex offender, especially if you're, I guess, someone uh, who's known to be even, I guess, a child molester, is you have no rights and you don't deserve anything. But um, in this case or in other cases, does this could this be construed as a violation of this individual's right to privacy? Or is the fact that he did this kind of thing kind of where you go, the ends justify the means? Well, it's a trade-off, right? I mean, clearly this violates the offender's right to privacy. But on the other hand, the public has the right to know. And there's concern about recidivism. And it might not help to curb recidivism. But at the same time, you know, people demand transparency about, you know, where, what happens to these sex offenders. And it's a tough policy call. But rather than looking at it as a tough policy call, I think, you know, again, the, the social response or government response has usually been political experience where, you know, if there's a public outcry, you know, you just appear to be really tough on crimes by passing on uh, additional laws and additional restrictions without really thinking about the actual eff- efficacy of such measures. Right, because if you just leave aside whether this person has a right to privacy is if you go by the books, this is exactly what I guess that regulation the government put in place had intended, right? If you have a guy who's out in society, whether he's moving in next door in the uh, comp- uh, apartment complex there or he's attending the same school or joined the company, exactly. you have now this outlet or this vehicle to find out if this person is a sex offender. And that's exactly what happened in this case, which is, I, I suppose, the system, whether you agree with it or not, actually doing its thing. Yeah in, yeah, in that sense, the system ha- is working, but, you know, is the system working towards the goal that people wanted? I mean, now that the students and the professors know that the guy is in there, uh, they are demanding that he leave the school, but at the same time, there's a no no legal method to push him out. So where is this going to go? I mean, is uh, yeah. are they hoping for social pressure? Will eventually persuade him to leave the school? I, I don't know. Yeah. Dr. Lee, uh, is it considered to be unfair to lump Sex, sex molesters or sexual harassers uh, in the same category as child molesters uh, because um, some people might be guilty of verbal sexual abuse, maybe the boss going to the female employee uh, talking about her skirt or something, um, and there seem to be all kind of different categories. Do you believe some leniency is in order for those who have committed comparatively minor crimes? I think in legal level there is different. I mean, surely there is different degree of the severity, 
abilities are differentiated, and also people know that what is severe, what is less severe. So, but that's not universal across the board. As to some people have different standards and might say that. Uh, but sometimes the the minor verbal sexual abuse develop into big incidents. Mm. I think that is related to the attitude of a predator. So, for example, the predator. Um, with the loss of power, I mean, the deny what he has, the person has done, or they threaten the the right. person who re- received these bad words. And that's a very important point indeed. Now, Professor Huang, this is something that could be kind of one of those uh, classic debate 101 topics to <laughs> do abortion, death penalty, and maybe something like this. Uh, and we've talked about this on this program as well, but some of the more extreme measures of dealing with sex offenders, not just a registry, not just a, a list or, or anything like that, but the chemical castration. Now, we've talked about this at length, and uh, these are not necessarily permanent, um, uh, I suppose, treatments. But are these things that um, are necessary or can be a tool in terms of this uh, crime-fighting tactic? I think as of now, I think it's the best thought of as a tool since chemical castration is not an end or be Science is a little still out in the, the, the jury is a little bit out on the science of chemical castration, whether it will be you know, 100% effective against you know, preventing recidivism, but as, uh, you know, it's you know, having multiple policy options about controlling potential recidivism behavior, I think, is something that government ought to consider. Okay, so it's something that can be considered. Obviously, there will be people who will still have the opposing view of this as sort of a bit on the uh, extreme side of of uh, punishment here in terms of one of these uh, punitive measures uh, that are considered appropriate. Dr. Lee, uh, what do you think um, in terms of what more can be done policy-wise by the government to better monitor and keep tabs on sex offenders. And we keep talking about recidivism, but to prevent future crimes. Yeah, surely Korea has adopted a very tough uh, punishment regarding the sex offenses. For example, we adopted the chemical castration and also the public notification. It's kind of very harsh and tough punishment. So I think it is the Many legal the the experts in this area. I mean, says that uh, that these strong measures are not effective, not very much effective to prevent this crime. So I think uh, from the part of politicians or policymakers, it is very easy to increase the terms, uh, the prison term, or the the increase the strength of the punishment. That is an easy solution, but. But what is more important is, uh, I think, is the prevention side or education part. Many of these predators, I think, they didn't have a chance to get sex education. They, they didn't have a chance to how to behave properly in, mm-hmm. in when they express sexuality. When sexuality, so I think what is important is providing education. So uh, nowadays, I think many of these convicts are also ordered to take uh, education. So what is important is the quality of education. So I think it is the Ministry of Justice, they spend more effort to increase the quality of education. Right. 
One other thing about this, Professor Huang, is that a lot of people wonder, okay, it's been in the media much more. We're talking about more of these reported cases, and so it can give the impression that there are more of these kind of crimes going on, but it could also be just more people, more women uh, being willing to step forward and report these crimes. That being said, and we see this in other countries as well, but there are still a lot of women who may have been victims but are still reluctant to report it. And there is still a sense that in Korean society, there's a bit of a scarlet letter. If you do have the courage to come forth, it doesn't necessarily always result in a good experience for the victim, right? Exactly. And a lot of the, these things happen within the context of a you know, very definite power structure. And unless the authorities and you know, the, the social network that help these victims really understand and take the power structure ex- uh, you know, explicitly into account, you know, usually this, uh, this kind of sexual abuse takes place within you know, kind of superior, inferior kind of relationship. Uh, or it could be you know, the sort of male-female dynamic, which in Korea can also be fairly you know, the, the, the dominant power, power dynamic as well. So you know, I think every, uh, everyone needs to be a little more aware about that kind of power dynamic that goes on in uh, many of these cases, which will help women to come forward a little, bit, a little easier. Yeah, same question for you, Dr. Lee. Do you feel a lot of women are reluctant to report and uh, they do face a stigma or pressure to keep quiet? Yes, yes, surely. So uh, according to the survey, I mean, only f- Five to six percent of the attempted uh, rape or the rape incidents are reported to the police. So even the number has been increasing compared to the past. Still, we have far away to go. In case of the United States, the reported percent is about thirty-two percent. Mm. So, which means that it's very hard to bring it out. So. But uh, in all the days, Korea has a criminal in criminal code. We have an article to punish the rape crime, but it has not been effective at all because in all the days or the sexual purity of women is really important. So <laughs> if she report to the police and her whole social reputation goes off, so there's, I mean, there is no dare woman to go to the police yeah. to report it. But in year 1993, we passed a special law on this uh, punishing the sexual crime. And at the same time, what is important in the, in the enactment of 1993 is it also provides the, the measure uh, to protect the victims so the government secured the funds to provide any help as victims as they, the government provide grants to the uh, this counseling centers and mm. shelters so that really uh, help a lot is of people so uh, as the quality of the services increase increase i think more people more the victimized people ha- will have a confidence to get help So that is really important. We're almost out of time, but Professor Huang, I guess the final question for you then is, it does look like from everything that uh, both of you have been pointing out, uh, some educational programs that need to be put in place, uh, this sort of uh, shifting uh, sort of social mores of society that may have to be also uh, changing with modern times. It really is more of an evolutionary process rather than the government, as you say, for the sake of political expediency, reacting to public opinion, just saying, we got to do all of these things to, to fix and put a Band-Aid on the situation, we're, we're talking maybe years and years down the road before we can actually see some uh, dramatic positive change. 
Yeah, I mean, it takes time to change people's minds, but at the same time, I think just looking at Korean society in the past 30, 40 years and, you know, how the role of women have, has increased in the past 30, 40 years, I think, you know, yes, there's a, lo- a long way to go, but I think the Korea has sort of come a long way, long way since 30, 40 years ago. So I think there is uh, plenty of room for hope. And we'll end it on our uh, comment by a listener. 6582 says, you can forgive, but you don't forget, especially sex crimes. Crime of opportunity is a dangerous term, and I think predators are more prone to commit once they see a chance, especially healthcare providers have more access to patients' physical records, and they should be protected no matter what. Again, a very good example of the the public sentiment right now on this uh, volatile issue. We will leave it there, but I want to thank both of our panelists for uh, joining us, Dr. Imi Jung and Professor Hwang Jong-wook. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Bringing you stimulating discussions on current affairs. Discover the best of news and current affairs. Primetime on TBS EFM. Before I say goodbye, just to give you a brief preview of our program tomorrow, we mentioned how there are these classic uh, sort of debate 101 topics. Well, one is certainly the issue of abortion, a constant battle between the so-called pro-life choices forces and the pro-choice forces. Well, uh, there is another controversy brewing in the United States. Uh, Recently, the Food and Drug Administration loosened the protocol for prescribing abortion-inducing medication. Now, this is at a time when abortion clinics across the country are facing increased pressure from various state laws. This move is seen as somewhat of a victory for pro-choice advocates, um, moving the abortion procedure out of medical facilities and into the confines of a woman's home, offering them a greater degree of privacy and flexibility, especially in an era when many states in the United States uh, have shut down abortion clinics where if you wanted to get one, you might have to actually go to another state. Now, there's a flip side to this issue. As always, pro-life advocates condemn the FDA's decision, saying that it paves the way for the destruction of more innocent lives. It places women at greater risk for the adverse health effects of abortion pills, which have been known to cause side effects that have been on uh, even rare occasions resulting in death. Well, this classic debate, uh, we're going to get actually some expert analysis on this for our interview segment tomorrow. We're going to be joined by a law professor, from the United States and talk about these new FDA guidelines and discuss this issue from a legal standpoint. You can be sure there is a big political as well as social element involved with this always very volatile topic, which will be an issue in these upcoming presidential elections as well. We'll see you tomorrow. We hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. My name is Henry Shin. Goodbye. TBS EFM. Soul Smarts, your one-stop guide to living in Seoul from TBS EFM. On this Soul Smarts, the late night night owl buzz. Seoul is a city that never sleeps. People work late into the night, and there are lots to do and see at night too. 
So, it's good to know that there are late-night buses available to take everyone home after the subway stops running for the night. Late-night buses are called Ulpemi or Night Owl buses and have been named with an N for night followed by a number. There are currently eight routes available and they run between midnight and 5 a.m. Buses come every 30 to 50 minutes and at 1,850 won, they are slightly more expensive than your usual bus. Detailed information on bus routes and times can be found at bus.go.kr. If you're out late, look for the Night Owl bus for a safe and convenient ride home. Soul Smarts. Get the latest living tips on TBS EFM 101.3. Just want to relax. TBS EFM is here for you. It's such a pleasure Thank you for tuning in to TBS EFM 101.3. TBS EFM will be broadcasting in Chinese for two hours starting.